After Jim got through those books, I want to read them myself. <laughs> I think I'm going to buy one of those things and read it. Be the second one bought this year. <laughs> oh, well, it's wonderful to see you again. I, we were getting in late last night, and they were telling me what, what was, had been going on here, and I'm sorry we, we missed it. It's also good to have my wife with me. We finally got all those kids out of the house. And uh, everybody told us to watch out for that empty nest syndrome. We kind of like it. Uh, we should have kicked them out when they were about six. It would have been... Been better off, maybe. All right. Well, I, uh, I'm not, as you probably already know, I'm not real high on religion. I am, I am in a quest to get all religion out of my life. I have discovered that it is not real helpful. Everywhere Jesus wants to bring freedom, religion tries to tie me up. So I'm trying to get rid of it. And I realize I got more than I thought I had. And every time I hear somebody say they're free of it, I know they lied too. (laughs) But if I could help you this week get rid of a little more religion in your life, I feel like it's been worth the trip. Because uh, I know you love God or you wouldn't spend your time to come to a place like this and give this time. I know there's something inside your inner man that cries out for a intimacy with God. And uh, I, I think religion, as much as anything, keeps us from finding it. Well, let me read you some uh, stuff here. Uh, this is called, uh, They Speak With Other Tongues. A friend from New Zealand gave this to me. and uh, I found out everybody speaks in tongues. Everybody's religious, that is. Listen to this. Have you ever been saved? A rather wide-eyed young fellow startled me with this question as we walked for the bus. He handed me a booklet with a picture of hell on the front. Sure, I responded. Uh, Once when I was nine years old, I was swimming down at Jones Beach on Long Island. This undertow began to pull me out, and my uncle heard me calling for help, and he said, No, no, he interrupted redeemed man have you ever been redeemed you know reborn washed in the blood what in the world are you talking about I inquired convicted man have you ever felt convicted of course not I said I've never been in trouble with the law in any way (laughs) he looked at me square in the eye I think you need to be delivered (laughs) delivered I was just waiting for the bus home I I just uh, (laughs) He looked at me as if I were speaking another language. Could we have lunch together sometime, he asked. I just worked down the street. Sure, I said, that would be fine. He looked harmless enough, but I must admit he was an unusual fellow and quite difficult to understand. That Wednesday, I had lunch. Uh, had, had lunch. 
I had lunch with Ed. He was a little late, but explained that he was having some quiet time. Quiet time, I said. What do you mean? Well, each day just before lunch, I have time in my prayer closet, he responded. You pray in a closet at work? No, he said, it's in my car. You got a closet in your car? He changed the subject. Like the first day I met him, he left me confused. This Ed's quite a unique fellow, I thought. As we parted that day, Ed gave me a little booklet that explained how someone could come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I read it. I understood it. I knew that was exactly what I needed. That night, I submitted my life to Jesus, and I was born again, as it stated in the booklet. Two days later, I told Ed. He was overjoyed. Following week, we got together again, and Ed strongly urged me to find a good body. I was surprised at his suggestion, but it sounded good to me. I took his advice and proceeded to comb the local health clubs for an attractive woman. When I met Denise, I knew she was the one. We began to date, and soon she became a believer also. Ed rejoiced and told us that it was crucial that we get planted so we could grow together. Sometimes it's hard to understand this guy, I told Denise. I told Ed I wasn't quite sure what he meant by planted. He responded, committed. You both need to be committed now that you know Jesus. Now, wait a minute, I said. Just because I don't understand what planted means doesn't mean I'm nuts. Anyway, I think that trusting Jesus is the most sane thing I've ever done in my life. It was obvious that Ed's patience was growing thin. He explained, Bob and Denise, you have to get plugged in. Do you understand? <laughs> no, we didn't. But I did wonder if getting plugged in had any connection with going out under the power. Something I had heard Ed mention, but hoped would never happen to me. <laughs> Regretfully, I had to miss worship next Sunday, but Ed and I had breakfast together Monday morning, and he filled me in on what happened. God moved, he said with excitement. God really moved yesterday. Where is he now, I said. <laughs> I was just getting to know him, and now he's gone. <laughs> no, no, Bob, God hasn't gone anywhere. Boy, was I relieved. 
It's just that so many people were stepping out and moving in the gifts. You mean people are leaving the meeting? What about the presents? No, not presents, gifts. The gifts were really flowing, he said. Well, since I didn't understand he was going to change the subject, but he said, Denise was there, and boy, was she on fire. (laughs) On fire, Denise got burned? No, Bob, don't you understand? Denise is fine. It's just that I believe she's really called, and God wants to use her. Things were not getting any clearer. Had Denise mentioned that she was getting too many calls, and what's this about God wanting to take advantage of her, I asked. Ed sighed. Can I walk in the light with you? Where do you want to go, I said. Of course we can walk in the light. It's daytime, Ed. He just shook his head. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it seems that Ed and I have a hard time communicating. Well, it's been two years now since I was saved and delivered. Now I'm plugged in, planted, and committed to a good body. God's been moving. I've been stepping out in the gifts. I can hardly believe how God's been using me. I have developed one problem, though. Seems that all my old friends just don't understand me anymore. Oh boy, religion and its language. Hey, I got a deal for you. If I had a pill this morning, a capsule, a pill, that if you took it, it would open your eyes to divine perception, elevate your mental consciousness to a higher level, give you control and power over your weaknesses, and guarantee you success with all of your responsibilities with people and things, would you take it? How many of you take the pill? Most of you lying like a dog. (laughs) You know doggone well you'd take it. Some of you taking pills will make you skinny while you eat ice cream, and then you (laughs) act like you want to take this pill. That's one I'm looking for. Make you healthy, robust, while you eat all the ice cream you want. Yeah, I think most of us would take it. I'm afraid I would be tempted to take it because uh, there's something inside of us that's always looking for a shortcut. Therein lies a major problem. Because the shortcut deal came from the devil. Starting in the Garden of Eden, he offered to Eve a shortcut. He said, you want to be like God, you don't have to do it his way. You don't have to do it by depending on life, eating the tree of life, living in dependence upon him. You can do it another way, by the knowledge of good and evil, you can be like God. He offered a shortcut to her. She took the shortcut and found out it's really not a shortcut at all. We see him in the garden again, in the wilderness again with the second Adam, last Adam, Jesus. He's doing the same thing, offering shortcuts. Want to be a Messiah? Well, you are the Messiah, but nobody knows it yet. You want to make everybody know it? Let me show you how to do it. Let's go to the pinnacle of the temple and jump off. 
That'll show everybody. Want to be ruler of the kingdoms? Well, you are. We all know it, but nobody knows it. So why don't you bow down and serve me, and I'll make you ruler of the kingdoms. Want to show you power? Change stone into bread. Knowing that God's way is he never changes stone into bread. He always changes bread into bread. Shortcut. And today there are still shortcuts offered. And every time we take a shortcut, we miss the way of God. Now, there are basically only two ways, right? There's a way of God and there's a way that's not of God. It's talked about in the Bible a great deal. The book of Proverbs is basically about two women. It's about the woman personified as wisdom, which is the way of God. And it says that wisdom stands in the streets, and she's very aggressive. She cries out, let me in. She stands at the intersection. She stands at every place where men and women cross. And she says, let me in, let me in. If you let me in, I'll grant you life. I'll give, it, give you life in its best form. I'll give you prosperity as it's really defined. I'll give you peace. I'll give you long life. Everything you've longed for, I'll give you. If you'll, if you'll buy of me, says wisdom. On the other hand, there's what's called in Proverbs the strange woman. Sometimes the adulterous woman. She represents the other way. She also is in the streets looking for the naive and the simple, saying, if you'll let me in, I'll give it to you now. You won't have to do it by faith. You don't have to depend upon anything else. You can have all your satisfaction now. Many, many words are used in the book of Proverbs to describe those who buy into that way of life. Fool, uh, simple, naive, the lazy, the glutton. All of these are phrases and many others to describe those who buy into the shortcuts of life. And I, I, I think we're still buying into that. Well, let's read some scripture. Uh, first of all, we'll go to Proverbs chapter 3. And then we'll go to James chapter 3. So if you're a quick turner, you can get both of them if you're slow. We'll just take it one at a time. If you already have it memorized, you don't have to worry about either one of them. Are you there yet? Well, you can turn more than one page at a time, you know, just kind of flip on over there. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. This is just a sampling of many verses we could read out of Proverbs. It says essentially the same thing. Proverbs 3, 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. Then chapter 4, verse 7, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, she will exalt you. Embrace her, she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. And on and on it goes about 
wisdom. Wisdom is that way of God. You see, God built the whole universe His way. And He built His way into it. Approximately 2,000 times in the Scripture, it talks about the way of God, or the way of the Lord, or the way of the righteous. You would think if God talked about something 2,000 times, He might, might want us to get a hold of it. In the New Testament, uh, for the first century or so, the Christians were called people of the way. Why? Because they lived in such a way that you could tell the way they lived. In modern times, we don't talk about Christians living any such a way. We talk about experiences they've had. Say, is that man a Christian? Yeah, he's a Christian man. He goes to our church and he's been baptized and he uh, has been filled with the Holy Ghost and he tithes and he believes these things about God. Well, how does he handle his money? Well, I don't know. Well, how does he feel about different races of people? I, I don't know. How does, he, how does he feel about uh, the equality of men and women? I, I don't know. Well, we don't know much about the way. So people today are not called the people of the way. We're called the people of the experience or the people of the creed or whatever. But God's still interested in the, the way. And if you don't have the way, you're going, you're going contrary to it. You will experience the curses that come from it. So there are two wisdoms in the world. Let's go to the New Testament for a second, James chapter 3. And we'll, talk, we'll see the same wisdom talked about here. James chapter 3, starting again with verse 13. 313, are you there? Don't lie. If you're not there, don't say you're there, but just say I'm going. James 3.13, who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So, we have a biblical description of the two ways here, the way of wisdom of God and the way of the wisdom from the world. And by the way, at, at any moment, you're either hooked into one or the other. And it's pretty easy to tell which one you're hooked into. So we like to, uh, to analyze all our problems and our weaknesses and whatever and go, well, it's, you know, it's, it's society's fault. It's mama's fault. She, she was too dominant. It's 
It's daddy's fault. He was too absent. Church's fault. It was too dead. Problem is, you're either hooked into heavenly wisdom or you're hooked into a worldly wisdom. And uh, it's a tougher battle than many, uh, many will give credence to because uh, our culture is basically based on the wisdom of the world. And if you go against it, you will, you'll have to go against your culture. And that's never easy. It's a whole lot easier to be a product of your culture than it is to be a prophet to your culture. Because many times you stand alone being a prophet to your culture. So uh, the way of the shortcut, the way of the wisdom of the world. Let, let's talk about two or three areas here. First of all, the shortcut to, to knowledge. Everybody wants to know. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we, we all want to know. There's a, some insatiable drive inside of us to know, to know truth, to know wisdom, to know how it all works to understand. You know, in, in our culture, in modern culture, it's, a lot of it's turned inward. You know, we, we analyze ourselves endlessly. What's wrong with me? What makes me do that? Why do I do that? Uh, it's interesting now in the court system that we, we're not interested in did somebody do it. We're interested in why did they do it. You know, the whole deal with Miss Bobbitt was not did she mutilate her husband. That was pretty obvious. The whole deal was why did she do it? The same thing will be with uh, O.J. Simpson. Now, not so much guilt or innocence, but why? Wait, watch when it happens. That's well, the same thing. It goes on in the church, too. It, it's not, uh, did I sin or, or whatever. It's, why did I do it? I've got to find out why so I won't do it anymore. No, I can go ahead and fix that for you. I can tell you why you did it. You're a sinner. You were in Adam when he fell, and when he fell, he was separated from God, and we fell further in the fall than any of us have an idea. We fell so far that you can't ever get up out of that pit. The only way is to start over. That's why there came a last Adam, and that's why he lived and died and made it possible for us to enter into a new race. And you can give up on trying to figure out why you did it. You did it because of the Adamic uh, effect that, that's in our lives, and that's why we have to start over. So, uh, I, I'm not into all that stuff. It's a, it's a never-ending thing. But this search for knowledge, it's, it's really something. You know, we, we live in a day when uh, technology is unbelievable. You know, I, wouldn't it be fun to go into a store where you bought something and they wrote out one of those little tickets and handed it to you and gave you your stuff? You can't buy it. We stopped at a little store in Central Texas the other day. My family and I were going down to Central Texas. Little Little bitty, what's the name of that place we went through, baby? Oh, it's some little old town like Rising Star or something like that. They had one little uh, 7-Eleven type deal there. We went in to get a Coke. And honestly, the inventory, I could have counted on my hand the inventory in the store. Well, to give you a for instance, they had two cans of sardines. I mean, I only had like two shelves of stuff. I could count it all and remembered it. I wouldn't have had to even write it down. Uh, we bought uh, four Cokes and went up, and they had, they had to do the little radar thing on the, on the thing <laughs> and let it run out on the computer, and the computer tell us how much and give us a computer printout, and we paid 79 cents for the Coke. That's a salesman that sold that guy that now. I, I want him working for me. <laughs> 
I'd like that guy. I mean, he went in there and told this guy, said, you've got you to have technology here. You can't keep up with your inventory. But I mean, we've got an information glut with a wisdom deficit. We've got a whole lot more information than we know what to do with. Oh, you got a minute? No, I need to tell you a story. Some of my friends got to making fun of my computer here last year. I was working away on my little computer, and they said, that's a... That's a dinosaur, they said. They said, that's a 286. That's the slowest thing. I thought it was pretty fast, a lot faster than my typewriter, so I was pretty pleased with it. See. They said, no, you've you got to upgrade, man. You've got you to get a smaller one, and you've got to get a faster one, one that does more stuff. And so I go down to the biggest store in Dallas, incredible Warehouse, universe. I call it the unbelievable warehouse, but it's uh, incredibly, I mean, just acres of store. I go in and I, I finally look around. I buy me an IBM. I mean, that's a pretty, you know that name, right? So you'd think that's not a fly-by-night deal. Buy me this cute little IBM 486. It'll just do everything. It'll pray for lost folks if you can. can uh. And... So I get all this good, wonderful software on it, and, and uh, it's portable, see? It's a little notebook computer, and, and so you can carry it with you, which you can almost stick it in your pocket. And so I carry it with me on a, on a meeting, and uh, somehow I leave the AC adapter, the plug. I leave it in the hotel where I am, and, and uh, so I just got the computer, see, without the plug, and it'll run on battery for about two hours or three, but that's it. So anyway, I called the hotel, and they couldn't find it. I even went to the hotel, and, and they couldn't find it. Looked in their own, back in their lost, and couldn't find it. So I go back to in the, the big store, and I said, you know, I was in here, and I bought a computer, and I've lost my AC adapter. I just need a plug. Could, could I get one? And so nobody goes and looks on a shelf or nothing. They just enter, in, enter the number into the computer, and they said, that's a bad number. And I said, no, it's not a bad number. That's a real number on my... No, they said, what we mean is we don't carry that in stock. Well, I said, you mean, uh, uh, y'all don't, uh, you, uh, I can't get a plug for this thing? I said, no, we can't. Uh, so they sent me over to Computer City or whatever, CompUSA. I, I went to all the big stores. I, I mean, I was really proud of my hope and everything. I didn't, I didn't get discouraged. I just, I'll find it. I mean, IBM surely makes more than one plug per computer, you would think. <laughs> So I'll find it soon. So I keep on going and spend all day going looking for me a plug to go to my computer. And nobody's got one. Everybody does the same thing. They entered it. Nobody ever looks on a shelf. They entered in their little computer and they go, sorry, not in stock. So I waste that day. So the next day I, I decided to get out my info and I call the 1-800 number from IBM. So I call and I get voicemail. And the voicemail said, if you want to talk about this, push it. If you want to talk about it, it had, it had 12 options. <laughs> so I listened to all 12 and then went back through it a second time, see, to see which one you want. And it was number three. I need to match number three. I hit number three, got another voicemail. If you want to talk about it, did that six times. 
Six different calls. I've been on the phone 45 minutes, hadn't talked to a living soul yet. <laughs> After the sixth time, got a human being on there. Mash the button, this woman answered. She could not speak Texan, and I couldn't speak whatever it was she was speaking. <laughs> Finally, she said, let me transfer you to another department. She hit a button, I was transferred to another department. Uh, told him deal that happened four times. On the fourth try, I finally got somebody who said, Can I help you? Sounded like he could speak Texan. I said, Yes. I said, please, don't transfer me. Don't make me hit another button. Just listen. So just I said, I don't even care if you can't help. Just listen to my story. <laughs> I mean really, I sounded like a woman. With a flat tire tire, I said, please, sir, please. I said, I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just a man in Texas, and I, I bought this IBM computer, and I've lost the plug, the AC adapter, just the plug. I didn't lose any software, any, didn't lose a hard disk or nothing. I just, love, I just lost the plug. All I need is something to plug the sucker into the wall. <laughs> and I said, can you help me, please? He said, sir, I'm sorry. We don't carry that in stock. I said, let me understand this now. You're telling me IBM makes one plug per computer. He said, I don't know. That's not my department. <laughs> he gave me another list of 800 numbers. Before he hung up, he said, you know, if I were you, I'd go down to Radio Shack and just buy me a plug. I said, well, that work? He said, you take these numbers. And he gave me the right voltage and amperage, and he said, go down and get one that fits that, and it'll work. And I said, great. Sounds like God to me. I've made this thing way too complicated. It's as simple as going to Radio Shack. I should have known that. So I, I get in my vehicle. I go down to Radio Shack, and I walk in, and I say, listen, I need an AC adapter with these, uh, this ratio of amperage and voltage. He said, oh, sir. That goes to a computer, doesn't it? And I said, he said, every computer company makes different ratio you will not find that in here. You'll have to get it from the company. Now, I want to tell you, I said, that guy don't know what he's talking about. He works from here 8 to 5, gets paid $7 an hour. I want to talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. So I go to the Radio Shack store. I walk in, I said, I want to talk to the head guy. He said, I'm the head guy. I said, okay, here's my deal. And I told him what I want. He said, sir, every computer company makes their own deal. <laughs> I got a $3,000 computer sitting on my desk that'll do everything. I can't find a plug. <laughs> Folks, you could buy plugs in 1953. I'm just totally dejected. I finally called one of the secretaries. I hadn't wanted to bother the secretary because I lost the thing and I needed to. I called the secretary and I said, find me a plug. I said, if you have to go to Taiwan, get me a plug. <laughs> About four hours later, she said, I found one. It's going to cost $119. I said, I don't care if it costs $3,000. I've got to have a plug. She <laughs> said, why are you telling us that story? Catharsis, I just need to get it out.
But I think it illustrates for us an age in which we're living with too much information and too little knowledge of how to deal with it. Uh, on May the 24th, 1844, the Associated Press was founded. At that point, news from nowhere addressed to no one in particular began to cross the country. <laughs> Have you ever thought that before the advent of the telegraph and the telephone, that if somebody gave you some information, it was because you needed it? <laughs> Think about it. Somebody rode a horse all the way across town or walked across town or rode a train and came to your house to tell you something. It was a cause you needed to know. And it required a response. But in our context-free information society, we have way too much, uh, too much information that asks no response from us and we didn't even ask for the info. And we're bombarded with it. You can sit all day and watch CNN, get information from everywhere, and you sit there and yawn and eat your ice cream and drink your coffee and do absolutely nothing about it. We have something, I don't know if y'all get it on your news, it's called, uh, it's a local news called World in a Minute. And, and in 60 seconds, they give you all the information that you ever need to know all over the world. And uh, on the screen, it's ticking all the time. 60 seconds. And it tells you all this information world. You know, people dying, famine, epidemic, plane crashes, people, all of it's right there. And as soon as it goes off, Vanna White comes on. <laughs> and you know what? We watch it with the same aplomb. We watch it with the same response. Okay, people dying all over the world, all this kind of information coming. Then Vanna White comes on and flips the little things around for, uh, what was the name of that show? I figured y'all watch that. Now you say, what a, what, what are you, what's your point? My point is, a lot of us have been coming to church for a long time and we've heard a lot of info and we're not doing anything about it because we've been trained that you don't have to respond to the information that you get. And some of us fuss with God because God won't talk to us the way we want Him to talk to us. But let me tell you something that you'll need to know about the way of God. He only gives information on a need-to-know basis. And if you're not involved in doing something you need to know, then you won't get to know. Now, people say, I, I just don't understand why I'm not operating in the gifts. What do you need a gift for? Sitting on the couch. <laughs> you don't need discernment unless you're face to face with demonic forces. You don't need a gift of healing unless you're, you're, you're involved in healing the sick. But I think we've gotten jaded in our hearing ability because we get so much information. We've got notebooks of information and we don't respond to it. The way of God is, if you are willing to do His will, you will know the doctrine. God's way is a way of obedience. Now you say, I don't like that. Well, it sounds legalistic to me. I'm just real sorry about that, but that's God's way. Obedience is the key to more knowledge, not more information. And if you want to know knowledge, God's knowledge, the wisdom of God, it comes through being obedient. So I just want to understand the mysteries of the heavenlies. Okay, what's God said to you? Nothing. Well, what did he say to you about your mother-in-law? Oh. 
He said to you about your own appetites. Oh, I don't want to hear. I, I want to understand the dreams and visions of the prophets. Well, God's not against that. I think uh, he'll confide in, his, in the righteous, the scripture says. But uh, if you want to know all that kind of stuff, the key to it is being obedient to what you already know. See, man, you came all the way up here to tell us that? Yeah, I did. But let me, tell you, let me tell you what religion is. Religion is essentially saying but not doing. The biggest problem of the Pharisees, they said but they didn't do. And we think because we can say it right and believe it right and write it down right and stay around those who do say it right and believe it right and write it down right that we're righteous. But you see, if we're not doing it, if we don't do his word, we're building on the sand. And when the storm comes, it will destroy your house. Well, there's also the substitute for uh, the shortcut for power. See, in knowledge, if you're taking notes, in knowledge, a shortcut is we substitute information for theory and insight and obedience. In power, we substitute events for processes. You ask the average guy, you know, tell me your testimony. Well, I was born, then I was saved, and then I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then I was started in the ministry, and he basically reduces his life to five to ten experiences that he's had. Now, those experiences are wonderful, and they're absolutely essential. You do have to be born again. There is the experience of encountering God in new vistas in life. But can I tell you that most of life is not lived in a high experience, but lived in a process? I mean, you got a lot of just getting up in the morning and living all day and going to bed at night. I don't mean boredom. I don't mean in an absence of the presence of God. I just mean in the process, the process of, of uh, hearing God, the process of figuring out. Does it ever get to you, you hear preachers preach and say, God said so-and-so to me, and you, that implies to you that they were just walking along and God spoke clearly and whatever, and you're wondering, well, why do I always get garbled memos? Well, that's because the guy speaking is looking back at it and he's not telling you that it took probably six weeks in the process. He thought maybe he heard God and then he wasn't sure and then he thought maybe he said this and then he ran this through and then finally after a period of time, maybe through some failures and whatever, he concluded that God said that. But as he says, God said it, you get the idea that God just, pow, out of heaven, dropped him down a sheet and said it. Most of my hearing God is processes. I'll get a little inkling. It's like, Lord, you saying something? And I'll write down what I think he said, and I'm like, I don't know about that. Maybe a few days later I'll get a little more, and I'll tell somebody, you know what I think I heard God say? And he'll go, you're crazy as a bat. Oh, that's right, probably so. Go back. That's a process. Any of you have that experience? Believing is a process. God speaks to you and you go, wow, I don't know. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. But you don't believe until you don't have any other option. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> well, you see it, it entices you and you start moving that way and then you realize what it's going to cost you to believe that. It's going to cost you to give up some other things that you believe and you're going to have to do some repentance here, which means changing your perspective. And so you work on that as a process. And, you know, we may say, oh, I repented one night at the altar. Yeah, but probably you'd been working on it for a while. Or God had been working on you for a while. 
It bothers me that we, we, want, to, we want to get everything so quickly. We, we want power quickly. We, we talk about power. I want power. I want power from God. I just want power. I want power. Whoop, whoop, whoop power. I want to wow them with power. You know, I want to be able to have words of knowledge. You know, I want to touch them and let them fall down and heal of everybody in the world. I want power. Now, uh, boy, please don't hear me say I'm not for power. I do too. I, I'm, in, I'm in that. I want power. I don't want any more. I don't, I've, had, I've heard enough lessons. I want power. I want, I want to be able to do it when we say it. But if I'm discovering the way of God, it, it doesn't always come in a, in a shortcut. It comes, well, it says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. You see, power on an unprepared vessel is not a blessing, it's a curse. Uh, I grew up you know, on a farm. We didn't have a lot of excess money around. We didn't, uh, when it came time for a celebration like New Year's or Fourth of July, we didn't waste a lot of money on fireworks and all. But I usually got to buy a little bit and uh, I'd buy firecrackers. Now, I had friends who had a little bit more money than I did and they'd light a whole pack of firecrackers. You know, just light the end, throw the firecracker, go pa 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 and all of them's gone. Not me. I took them apart one at a time. Because it, I didn't have that many, so I'd take them and, and uh, have vivid imagination. So I'd build little cities out of sand and dirt and cans and rocks and blocks, and I'd build these little cities, and, and then I'd take my firecracker and I'd put it in there, and I'd, I'd be a demolition expert, see? And <laughs> I'd just blow that city apart, one building at a time. And, uh, you know, which some of you want to psychoanalyze me, but... Uh, I mean, I had a blast. Here's what I found out about firecrackers is that with firecrackers, you don't have to be real skilled to use it. It makes a lot of noise, draws attention, and requires a lot of imagination. I think what a lot of people are calling the power of God today must be kind of like God said, here, here's some firecrackers, play with those. Can I tell you when God's power gets loose, you won't have to use your imagination? You won't have to exaggerate. You won't have to say, oh, yeah, and leg grew out three inches when really it was just a twitch. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm not putting that, I know we all want it to happen so much, you know, it's like, well, let's be on the positive side of the whole thing. And I, I'm for being on the positive side, but I want to tell you something, the power of God, the kind of power that he talks about in resurrection, and that's the power God talks about. Nothing short of resurrection power. You don't have to use your imagination for it. But it does require skillful hands to use. Anybody can buy firecrackers. It takes a license to buy dynamite. One of my good friends growing up was a young black boy that lived on our farm named Beatty. Beatty and I played with firecrackers when we, had, when we had some money and we did everything else. We worked together and played together. I shall never forget the night that we heard an explosion ran down to Beatty's house. Beatty had uh, found a dynamite cap out in the barn. Didn't know what it was. Thought it looked like a firecracker to him. He was holding it in his hands and backed up to the fire to warm. It went off and blew all of his fingers off. Blew all these off and left some stubs here. And we ran down to his house and Beatty was standing there with great fear on his face and all the people scared. And every time his heart would beat, blood would shoot up against the wall. And I remember the fear that went over me. I thought my friend was dying. My dad grabbed his arm and put a tourniquet on it and ran into the doctor and saved his life, but not his hand. 
Maybe you understand if you're going to deal with fire, uh, dynamite, you better know what you're doing. Can I tell you the reason God hadn't answered some of our prayer for power? It would blow you up. One of the things God's doing to prepare us for power, however, is he's teaching us to live under authority. I think one of the reasons so much of uh, the charismatic community hadn't been trusted with as much power as we wanted and talked about and imagined is because along with our freedom from a lot of junk, we also picked up a spirit of antinomianism and we're not real good at being submissive to delegated authority. But if you remember the teaching of Jesus, he talked about the man, you remember the centurion who came and said, uh, uh, well, the people told Jesus, said this man's servant's sick and he wants you to heal his servant. And Jesus said, I'll go to his house and heal him. And the man said, oh, Jesus, you don't have to go to my house. All you've got to do is speak a word for I too am a man under authority. I know what it means to say to another. And Jesus said, I hadn't seen that kind of faith in Israel. Man understood that when you are submissive to authority, you get authority. And one of the things God is doing today is putting us under authorities that are not all that nice so that we learn what it means to be submissive so that God can put some real... But God's not going to put resurrection power in our hands to use if we don't have a servant attitude. Otherwise, we'll blow up our cities. Blow up ourselves. So, uh, I'm always afraid of those who want to get their inheritance too quick, too quickly. Remember the guy in the Bible who did that, the prodigal son? Wanted his inheritance too quickly? It wasn't a blessing to him. It was a curse to him. We have a lottery in Texas. There's 55 million this past week. Say, well, brother, don't you think the lottery is sinful? So bad about the lottery. I tell you what's so bad about the lottery. Riches gain quickly will vanish away. The reason most people don't have money is because they couldn't handle it. So here's somebody who's never handled more than $100, got $55 million in their hands. Is it going to be a blessing or a curse? So the shortcut to power is, is not an event, not you know, just power without character. God is in the process of giving more. Then there's a shortcut to a peace and prosperity. Everybody wants peace and prosperity. Oh, I want peace. But what we want to do is we want to substitute control for contentment. See, we think we can have peace if we're in control of the situation. If everybody will do what we want them to do and live by our way and live by our boundaries and so forth. Uh, and so we, uh, we try to control it. And God says, I want contentment. You say, how do I know if I'm doing that? Do you find yourself criticizing God for the path he's leading you on? Saying, oh, God, I trusted you and I follow you and look what you're doing to me. That means your control has uh, been contradicted and you haven't learned to be content in following him. Then there's a shortcut to, uh, to a spiritual maturity. And the shortcut there is to substitute boundaries for relationships. And we've done that so much. We, 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 determ we determine our spiritual maturity by how well we stay in the boundaries or how well we don't go with the boundaries. You know, we, 
Uh, all of you know that I, I grew up in a Baptist church in uh, South Alabama. It's interesting our boundaries. You know, you couldn't dance and you couldn't drink, but you could hate the blacks. And you could hoard your money. And you could lie and you could gossip, but you couldn't dance and you couldn't drink. And we knew who was spiritual. I tell you, anytime you focus on boundaries to define your spirituality, you're a long way from the way of God. The way God does it is by the centrality of relationship, by communion with Him and communion with the body of Christ, and you won't have to have all the boundaries there. So shortcuts. I'll let you find your own shortcut. What, what's God's way? Let's talk about the good part for a minute before I have to quit. What's the way of wisdom? Well, we, there's a lot you can say about it, but can, can we just all agree that this, the way of wisdom is always the way of faith? I mean, when you boil it all down, God likes one thing. He likes faith. Because faith implies so much more. Faith implies love. It implies relationship. It implies dependence. Uh, God's way is a way of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. God really likes faith. That's why, why He had uh, the tree of life in the Garden of, of Eden was so that People would live in dependence upon Him. And let life be the guiding principle of life, not knowledge of good and evil and rules and boundaries. And he's trusting somebody. somebody. But you know, uh, taking consideration that we are fallen and have something of the fallenness still left in our flesh, uh, faith also implies death. And that's not a fun, fun deal. But I want to tell you about the way of God. The way of God is always the way of the cross. The way of faith is a way of death. Because the truth is, we do not believe God only until we have no other choice. Man will fight to believe in himself. He will fight to believe, uh, he'll fight to trust his own self-confidence until there's no other shot. And so God is in the process of bringing us into situations that expose our confidence in another aspect of ourselves. And so we have to continually go to the cross. We have to continually go to that place of death. And uh, you say, how do you know when you've been to the cross? That sounds, you know, you're talking religious language here again. Go to the cross. What do you mean go to the cross? I can tell you how you know you go to the cross. When in the situation, you're trusting God alone. That's what the cross always produces. It produces a pure faith in God alone. Not God plus not God and, just God alone. And we don't like that. We fight against that. It's, uh, uh, it's not fun for God to have to bring us to the place where we, where we trust Him. But, but he, he does it. You know, I think about the children of Israel when He brought them out of Egypt. He wanted to do miracles for them. He wanted to show them His power, so He brought them out to the Red Sea. And it was interesting how He did it. He had the mountains on the side and the sea in front of them. And he wants, to, he wants them to trust him, you know, jump out in the sea and see my power. And they're going, no, that doesn't look like a good idea. So God kind of whistles for Pharaoh and says, let's see if we can't make the sea more appealing. <laughs> Pharaoh, close in the gap here. So here comes Pharaoh on the flanks. And so now we've got the sea in front of him, the mountains on the side, Pharaoh's behind. What do you, think, what do you guys think about the sea now? Well, it ain't all that bad. 
Do you realize we have to be pushed to the cross? I mean, don't, 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 don't be embarrassed about that. That's a part of the fallenness stuff. We have to be pushed to the cross. You, know, you say, oh, I, I just wish I could just go ahead and die to everything so I wouldn't ever have a problem. Well, get over it. That's a shortcut. It ain't going to happen. You're going to spend your life running into things that expose your self-confidence and the reason. And God already knows. It doesn't embarrass God. So you go, oh my goodness, I thought I was more spiritual than that. God didn't. <laughs> He's not embarrassed about this junk. He knows it was there. He led you into it to expose it to you so you could experience a cross, so you could be free of that self-confidence and move in faith. But we don't like it. I mean, no, I don't like it. I don't like to be pushed into the sea. I mean, once you go to the sea, it's like, yay, yay, I can write a book on it now. It's wonderful. But on the other side, it's like, no, that's wet. You'll die out there. But it's move to the place where you trust God and God alone for the whole thing. And that's, that's every, that goes against everything that's natural and that's of, of uh, old Adam's character. Now, now here, here's another little deal, and I have to quit here, but uh, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to need one. You know what I'm saying? I guess I just want to see somebody raised from the dead. It's okay, you die. Now, I, I do too. I want to see miracles. And I've seen some. And I want to see more. And I want to see, I want to see the real power of God released in his body. And, uh, I, I, want to, I want when I preach to people and tell them Jesus will change them, I want them to change them. Don't you? I don't want to just give them a lesson and go hope it happens. I want them to change. But I don't want to give them a firecracker either. I don't want to just knock them down on the floor and then they go home and nothing, nothing different. If, if they get knocked down, I want them to get up different, changed. I want the sexually uh, abused to get up well. I, I want the homosexual to be changed. I want the addict to be changed and liberated. I, I mean, I want the power of God released. Uh, but have you ever thought about putting yourself in the situation of the people that experience miracles in the New Testament? You know, we talked about the woman with the issue of blood. So wasn't that a great day? I mean, Jesus is walking through this crowd, and this woman comes up and touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus knows that virtue goes out of him, and he, he asks who it is, and, and they show him the woman, and she's healed, and she goes back glorifying God. Yes, that's a great miracle, but don't forget that here's a woman for 12 years, had an unstoppable menstrual flow. She had spent all of her money on doctors who had abused her. She had gone through the shame, the dysfunctionality of her life for 12 years before she had a miracle. Wonderful miracle, but she needed one. Now we think about the man whose son was demonized and you say, wasn't that a great deal, you know, that Jesus, uh, I mean, the man finally gets up enough courage because his boy is so tormented by demons. He, he sees the disciples and he goes and says to the disciples, can you heal my son? This was quite a step of faith for a man because he was going to the cult, basically, of their day. And, and uh, he goes and they, they can't heal him. And he's so disillusioned. And then Jesus walks down off the mountain and 
he comes to Jesus and said, I, my son is tormented, and I took him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. If you can, would you heal my son? And Jesus said, the issue is not if I can. If you can believe, all things are possible. And we take that verse and put it on our refrigerator. If you can believe, all things are possible. And, and it's okay to put it on your refrigerator, but just notice the context. All of his life, here's a father who grieved over a son who uncontrollably would go into these fits and the demon would try to kill him and destroy him. How many times had the father laid awake at night saying, why God, why? How many times had he looked in magazines for answers and looked in medical journals for symptoms, sought through the yellow pages to find another expert that could bring his son to some kind of normalcy? You see, we want a shortcut. We want to go out and eat, have a good time with our friends, come in, have a miracle. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out and try to get your own life in a mess so God will do a miracle. I tell you how you see some miracles. Get involved with those that aren't in a mess. But don't despair in times when you need a miracle also. Because weren't you praying for power? Weren't you asking God to glorify himself in your life? He will. He will because he will lead us into places where only he can get us out. And we come to the end of ourselves and we have to trust him. Well, let me give you four things to write down, okay? The way of God. The way of the Lord. These are just four suggestions on the... They'll help you to be obedient. The real key to, uh, to knowledge and to wisdom and to all this with God is obedience. The way of the Lord. Number one, listen carefully to what he says. Listen carefully to what he says. Which will imply some times of getting alone. It will imply some times of, of discerning all the voices that are going through your head and saying which ones are God, which ones aren't. Listen to what God says. Secondly, record it. Write it down. I'm amazed at how many of us don't write down what God says to us. You say, oh, I can remember. God's real high on writing stuff down. Have you noticed he wrote the Bible down? Uh, God himself with his own finger wrote the Ten Commandments. God's in the writing. He told Israel, when you choose a king... He'll have these certain characteristics, and I want him to write out the law personally and keep it before him. Write it down. Write down what God says to you. It helps you to find it. Write it down. Thirdly, pray it in. Pray it in. Once you get it written down, what God says to you, pray it in. Let's say God speaks to you and goes, you know, one of the big problems with you is that you just worry too much. You won't trust me. You're, you're just worried. You've got cares all over you, and uh, I want you to cast your cares on me. So you write that down. You say, I believe the Lord's telling me that he wants me to learn how to cast my cares on him. And so uh, you write that down. Now it becomes part of your prayer life. When you pray, Lord, I really don't even know why I worry so much. I, I, don't, I don't even understand all that. And maybe I don't need to understand, but dear God, I'm asking you to give me the grace to cast my cares on you. And today, as best I know, I cast my cares on you. You got something to pray about. People tell me, so I don't know how to pray. I, I just get into prayer and it just, uh, I, my mind wanders around, whatever. Listen, if God has spoken to you about your own life and he's spoken to you specifically, you've got something to pray about. And uh, 
Pray about it. Pray it in. And then number four, trade your pearls. Write it down. Go ahead. Trade your pearls. I'll explain it to you. I would say repent there, but repent carries with it such a, a preconceived idea. So I try to use a biblical definition of repentance here. Trade your pearl. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a pearl of great value and he sells what he has to get it. That's what repentance is. Repentance means you found something that you like more than what you have and so you get rid of what you have in order to get what you like. And that's what God does. God comes along and shows you a truth, but in order to embrace this truth, you've got to give up some stuff that you've already been believing. So you have to trade your pearls. You've got to revamp your pantry, as it were. And none of us like to do that, especially as you get older. I mean, you know, we've been through this thing several times. It's like, I've got it figured out now, and I don't want anybody messing up my system. I know what God the Father does. God, Jesus the Son does. I know what the Holy Spirit does. I know I got all of this in my little pantry. Don't come along here messing up my pantry. But I tell you, every time God speaks, you have to restock your pantry. You've got to redo your pearls. Because if God says you're not, uh, the issue to this whole situation is you're not spending enough time, with, you're going to have to take time from somewhere to spend it here. You have to be trading pearls. And that's a way of repentance. See, now you're, now you're learning what obedience is. You heard God. You wrote it down, tried to get it specific. You prayed it in. Ask God for his grace to do it. Now you trade your pearls. You're different now. You're changing. The way of God. The way of wisdom. Okay? Now, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace today to stop seeking for shortcuts and to look for your way. We choose today, Lord, to plug into the wisdom from heaven because we really believe that you know how to make life work and you're the only one. And the life we've received from you works only by your direction. So, some of us want to start right now. We just want to unplug right now from the wisdom of the world. We recognize that in our life there is selfish ambition, self-consciousness, uh, jealousy, other evil things, uh, which give us a clue that we're hooked into the wrong wisdom. And so, we renounce it right now in the name of Jesus. And we choose to plug into your way and choose right now to be obedient to your revealed truth. So give that to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.